you for downloading this podcast from Sound of Science. Lionel is a VW campervan, but inspired by the words and works of Carl Sagan, Lionel is the spaceship of our imagination. He likes to take people to the edge of the known universe, but before they go, we like to chat to them about music, life and science while we share a delicious pudding. This is Dessert Lionel Discs. Lionel's passenger today is Dr. Heather Williams, Senior Medical Physicist for Nuclear Medicine at Central Manchester University Hospitals, Lecturer in Imaging Sciences, a STEM Ambassador and Director of Science Girl. Hello, Heather. Hello. Uh, there's quite a lot to talk about there. Yes. There? <laughs> but I don't do it all at once. No, I can imagine. <laughs> um, what is nuclear medicine? I was actually asked this question last night as I was leaving the department by oh. a patient who was wandering past oh, and just chatting to his wife yeah. and saying, what is nuclear medicine? And I turned <laughs> around and went, do you really want to know? <laughs> sort of like half past nine at night. Um, and I explained that when you take an x-ray image, you shine x-rays through someone and you get a shadow picture of where the bones are mainly, but other bits as well. Um, and that's one way of getting structural information about the body. Uh, we can also look at the function of the body by tagging on some radioactivity that emits gamma rays onto a molecule that we're interested in where it goes and what functions it targets within the body okay. and then study where that goes as it sort of shines out the gamma rays from the body as it goes through. And that's nuclear medicine really. Instead of shining x-rays through we're picking up gamma rays as they're shining out. Um, so we tend to do fairly niche imaging that's kind of looking at a particular process rather than the sort of general let's have a look at the structure and see how things are generally working mm. you know so people tend to come to us after they've had a few other things and they're just trying to narrow it down to exactly what the problem is okay uh, so what sort of problem might come your way um, most of our work is heart imaging so we're looking at actually the blood supply to the muscle of the heart and the, mainly the left ventricle because that's the bit of the heart that does most work in pushing the blood around your body and we give a tracer that's taken up in proportion to the blood supply to that heart muscle and normally the people who come to us are have got some kind of chest pain when they run for a bus or try and climb the stairs and we're looking at which bits of their heart are not getting enough blood and that's causing this pain when they try and push themselves a bit too hard. Mm. Um, so we'll do a test when they're resting, and we'll do a um, and we'll give them another injection when their heart's working really hard. So we give them a, a drug that makes the heart race. We make them pedal on a bicycle for a bit. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, if you compare the two, you can look at the areas of the heart that are getting enough blood when you're just resting in a chair, feeling quite comfortable, and the bits that are maybe not quite getting enough when you're running for a bus or you climbing the stairs and it may be that those are the blood vessels that need to be stented open again in order to restore that blood supply okay. um, so that's one of the things we do yeah. we do brain imaging we do cancer imaging we do a lot, a lot of pediatrics children's imaging um, so it's a wide range of stuff mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it it's the sort of thing that, that people know that happens and probably don't call it nuclear medicine. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's people know about medical imaging. They probably yeah. don't know about nuclear medicine. Right. 
um, because most of the images that are shown on TV are sort of CT and MR scans because right. the structure of those is very beautiful, very detailed right. and it's very easy to engage with that and go, oh that's a brain, that's a heart, okay. that's a body, yeah. whereas ours are a little bit more fuzzy, the kind of maps of the distribution of this tracer rather than something that automatically go, oh yes that's that bit of that person. Okay. So quite a lot of our scans we map them onto a CT or a magnetic resonance imaging scan um, so that we can overlay the functional map on a structural map and quite a lot of our scanners will actually do a CT scan and a nuclear medicine scan in the same session so we can directly overlay that information. And is this happening at every hospital around the country? Most. Mm -hmm. um, all the big teaching hospitals like the one I work at, um, has, they all have a big nuclear medicine department, right. um, but quite a lot of district general hospitals will have, say, one camera, two cameras, who, and they do the routine tests. The more unusual things, the research-orientated things, tend to be concentrated in the bigger centres. Okay. When you were growing up in uh, Hull, did you have any idea that this was where you were going to...? Yes, weirdly. Um, I did work experience with a friend of my dad's who was head of medical physics when I was 16 oh. and I got into that after going home at the age of 15 um, from a science lesson having learnt about medical imaging and actually about how you could use gamma emitters to track these processes in the body because oh. obviously you know alpha and beta particles work out your body to to see them and gamma does and this is a nice little illustration for a science textbook and I went home and told my mum about this and said this sounds really interesting mm. she went oh I think um, your dad's friend Viv does something like that and mm. I ended up spending two weeks um, filing <laughs> and um, in the afternoons <laughs> following him round to various bits of medical physics and yeah. I was just hooked from then on I'm right. one of those I'm one of those weirdos who knew what they wanted to do when right. they were 16. Yeah. You know, if you, when you're 16, everybody asks you what you're going to do with the rest of your life, and it's the most ridiculous question ever because you, you don't know what you're having for tea when you're 16. Never mind what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Um, and but I was one of those people who went, yeah, this is what I want to do, and not just medical physics, but nuclear medicine support in within medical physics. So I went yeah. and did um, A levels and degree. Um, with that in mind, got loads of relevant work experience which helped me land a place on the NHS training scheme for clinical scientists and then I thought well if I'm going to do a PhD I better get it out of the way now mm. so I just stepped into academia for a bit and did a PhD mm. and um, then got my current job at what was then Manchester Royal Infirmary and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've been there ever since. So in January, it's 10 years of being in central Manchester. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, well, you find yourself in line on the spaceship of our it's imagination. It's very beautiful. I'm particularly admiring your curtains. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, well, that you can see on the curtains that there are various planets and moons that you will pass on your way. And that, there's the transit of Venus, which you, you won't see unless you go in a particular direction and then deliberately have a transit of Venus. I will have to make a special detour. Yeah. Well, you've got Turn Left at Orion and Mapping the Universe books here, which Excellent. together sort of form an A to Z. Yeah, SatNav's not going to really hold up, is no, it? Not no, not really. No. But Lionel <laughs> does know where he's going, um, and he'll help you. Um, the main purpose of this is to take you to the edge of the known universe and back. 
Sounds fabulous. Quite what you'll see there, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Um, well, nobody, otherwise it wouldn't be the end of the <laughs> universe. And um, uh, obviously, that's going to take quite some time for you, mm. but we will get you back for your lecture this afternoon. Yes. Um, <laughs> you will need some music because of any journey needs Absolutely. some music. Um, I see you've brought five CDs. I have, have I excellent. have. Um, well, I thought as we start as we are as we're driving, you do need um, some proper rock and roll when you're driving oh. any distance. I find so. Yeah. I have um, Rolling Stones' Forty Licks Greatest Hits. Fantastic. So I have two CDs of fantastic uh, road trip music there. Excellent. Uh, do you have a particular favourite track on that one? Um, I've got two sons and. Um, who are five and seven and my five-year-old um, actually is a big fan of Street Fighting Man. I'm really oh, okay. hoping that he doesn't <laughs> listen to the lyrics too closely. Um, so yes, it would have to be that one for okay. Bryn, I think. Every time it comes on the car stereo, he's like, louder, louder, stop talking. <laughs> Love it. We don't have, we've never had nursery rhymes, it's always whoever drives gets to pick, so the stones are on when I'm in the car. made your way from Hull yes, uh, to come uh, and do your PhD. Where did you do that? Um, I was actually based at the Christie Hospital, which is the largest cancer hospital in Europe, and it's just actually in South Manchester, so it's about half an hour from where we are. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, but I was part of the um, imaging sciences group at UMIST then, um, University of Manchester Institute of Science and Technology, um, which was... Um, absorbed into the University of Manchester um, when I was just finishing actually so I was one of the last people to graduate from UMIST okay. um, and I did that on looking at how we can get really accurate measures of uh, lung tumour function right. um, from PET scans right. um, and the reason why precision is really really important for these scans is that they're often used to track people's response to therapy and you see how actively cancer is growing or how its other characteristics are changing. You see that all change before it actually shrinks in size. Mm -hmm. And quite a lot of the traditional measures of whether someone's responding to treatment or not are all based on changes in size. So potentially you could um, spare someone treatment that wasn't working by basing your assessment on changes in function. Um, and change tack to something else mm -hmm. earlier mm -hmm. and perhaps be more successful in treating the disease. Okay. So I was I was looking at how we actually get those numbers out of scans um, for three years. Right. <laughs> so, and, 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 and how do you? Well, all if you set up your, your PET scanner right, um, 
all of the individual pixel values, so the li little elements in every single image, um, will be proportional to the concentration of Radio Tracer in the body at that point. Um, but the images are a bit blurred because you can't pinpoint exactly where every single bit of radioactivity is within the body. There's a bit of uncertainty in how you position that. Um, it's harder to get accurate measures from smaller um, tumours than for big ones. Um, and what you get is not just a nicely defined, accurate, you know, square looking blob. It's a bit fuzzy around the edges and where do you take the concentration measure from that's most indicative of what's going on in that tumour. So it's all kinds of tests I did on the camera about how the measures changed with lesion size and how I put the data together and all the other things that, that you do in setting up a PET scanner. Mm -hmm. But then looking at when you transfer those techniques over to patients, what difference does it make when you haven't, haven't got those approaches? And I tried that with looking at glucose metabolism um, because tumours grow very rapidly and they have a high energy demand so they have a high glucose transport rate so if you give a labelled form of glucose you actually see an awful lot more of that in, in cancerous tumours than you do in normal tissue so that's the classic tests for picking up um, cancers with PET but I also looked at um, cell division um, using a thymidine trace which is amino acid and that had, that had shown some promising results in brain tumours it never been done mm -hmm. in lung tumours before so I tried it in lung tumours and basically it didn't work so that was the final year of my PhD my yeah. conclusive result yeah. um, <laughs> which was that don't anyone ever bother to try and do this ever again um, so science is often, often like that you know yeah, you, sure. you, you bust a gut doing yeah. I mean this I had three patients came for these scans they all had quite advanced cancer and they gave me a week of their lives to come in for scans every day and blood mm. samples and I basically was either scanning them analyzing data or processing their blood samples all week um, and it took me a year to recruit these three people because yeah. obviously it's not the kind of thing you do for fun no. um, so but I, we got a good answer. It yeah. wasn't the answer I wanted. I wanted to go, yes, we've got a more accurate measure of what these tumours are doing and everyone should be doing these scans and woohoo, Dr. Williams discovered this first. Yeah. But instead it's just, please nobody ever do that again. Yeah, yeah if you're planning on doing it, IUDR labelled with I124, utterly pointless. Okay. Outside the brain, just don't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I mean, it was, as you say, you know, it, it, it probably outside of the science world, that seems quite strange, doesn't it, to spend all that time on something and, and find out it doesn't work. But in science, that's that's probably much the bulk of what happens. Yeah, and it's, it's as important to prove, prove things as it is to disprove them. Absolutely. And also the skills that you get um, during your PhD are in designing the project, working with a multidisciplinary team, controlling all your experiments so you can trust the result that you get. So all of those skills that you get that set you up um, for a career in scientific research, those are still there whether or not you got the answer you were hoping for yeah. or not. And it's actually, you know, if you were to come out of it with a positive looking result that was actually based on a flawed method mm. then actually that makes you a worse scientist sure. even though it looks more impressive yeah absolutely a lot of people don't don't see all these scientists either mm. um and they're about 
80,000 of us in the NHS. Right. Um, most of us are sort of biologists, chemists, people who work in more laboratory orientated settings. So they're the people who get your blood samples or your more unpleasant samples um, to play with. Okay. <laughs> and, um, but every bit of equipment in a hospital will be looked after by a physicist or an engineer um, at some point. All the, you walk into a hospital ward and you know people are hooked up to 101 different things and that's just your routine care that's not if you go to a theatre or if you go to an imaging department you're in contact with much more advanced technology and there's scientific specialists looking after all of that and underpinning all of the process of working out what's wrong and fixing it um someone worked out that sort of 80 percent of all diagnoses that are made in a hospital setting are done with the support of healthcare scientists but most of us are completely invisible. The general public don't know what, that we're there. Yeah. They think of hospitals. They think of doctors and nurses and physios and mm-hmm. you know the people they come in contact with directly. They don't see the rest of us running around in the background, yeah. making sure everything does what it should. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's time for some more music. Okay. Um, I think well, I've got some more drive time music. We have Brian Adams. Not a popular choice with some, but he's. <laughs> His unplugged album um, for MTV is absolutely beautiful. Okay. Absolutely beautiful. And, you know, if the stones are a bit full on for you yeah. and you need something that's a bit up still, but yeah. not too full on, sure. Brian's unplugged album is the thing. Okay. Um, and in particular, um, track three, Cuts Like a Knife. If you look that up on YouTube, it's the worst 80s disaster in the world of a track. <laughs> but this version is just beautiful. There's times I've been mistaken. There's times I thought I'd been misunderstood. So wait a minute, darling. Can't you see we did the best we could? Gone astray, now you're thrown it all away, and it cuts like a knife, but it feels so right. Seen him live. I haven't, no. Have you seen the Stones live? No, I can't afford to see the Stones live. <laughs> yeah. I went for the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> One of the many things that you are is a STEM ambassador. What, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, it's a, actually a nationwide, um, as far as I know, government funded uh, programme um, that's designed to get professional scientists, engineers, technologists, mathematicians into schools as role models um, for kids. So there are regional hubs and the regional hub will will sign you up as a a STEM ambassador, give you some training, run you through um, all the relevant checks to make sure you're safe to be around children Mm. and um, give you a list of opportunities on a regular basis to say, oh, would you like to go in and maybe do some mock interviews, run uh, a workshop on robotics, would you like to advise on this particular activity that they're running in the classroom, would you like to be involved in a careers fair, 
so I get an email every month with all these post things that I could possibly do mm-hmm. and I've been doing this for about 10 years I absolutely mm-hmm. love it mm-hmm. uh, it's really brilliant when you sit down with kids and a lot of them go oh you work in hospital you're a doctor yeah. and well not that kind of doctor <laughs> um, and it's really nice just to have that opportunity to talk about what I do and nine times out of ten they go that's cool and I go yeah it is um, and I had a lovely moment about a couple of years ago a careers fair where I was just talking about different sorts of imaging and one of the things I take in and the scans that I've had done myself um, including the ultrasounds I had done when I was pregnant mm. and there was one one girl who was just utterly fascinated by these mm. and I said I told her about sonographers who acquire these images and sort of report them as they're going because as you're moving the ultrasound probe around your brain sort of builds up a an understanding of the structure that isn't really captured by the fuzzy grey printouts that you get to take home and she was just captivated by this and she went away and said that's what I'm going to do mm-hmm. I'm going to be a sonographer I said oh, good for you mm-hmm. um, and it's a I mean like radiography like so many other careers in healthcare it's really rewarding because you're yeah. dealing with that individual and yeah. the images that you produce make such a massive difference sure. to them um, so yeah that was that's that was a that was a lovely moment. I didn't quite get her into medical physics, but as long as she's happy <laughs> in sonography, that's fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I, I assume that STEM isn't just about helping people get into those things. It's about an understanding of the, of, of the world as well. It is. I think quite a lot of the school orientated activities um, do have this spin that if you're there uh, as a professional scientist, you're demonstrating what can be done with this science and but you're not always there to explicitly talk about well I do GCSEs in this um it it does it is more this is the subject get excited about the subject so I have done um sort of core physics related things um but I tend to do the more career or career orientated things because if that if it takes me out of work it's kind of that's my get out of jail free card if I'm essentially recruiting the next generation yeah. of medical physicists that's a good reason to get out of the office a bit earlier than yeah. go and do a careers fair or something yeah. um, but it, it's it's lovely and it's it's given me um, some brilliant opportunities and helped me be able to translate the science that I do into terms that you know your average 16 year old 17 year old can understand um, and that's a skill that's useful, whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to the edge of the known universe. You've I got am. two CDs, but you are in Lionel. He is. He sort of flies himself, to be honest with you. Oh right, okay. Um, so you can. I'm sit. disappointed, actually. Oh, I, was, I was hoping wow. to be a little bit more interactive. Would you mind? Oh, oh. He says he'll let you have a go as you pass Saturn. Was that that? You can't argue with okay, that. Okay, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. I'll try not to crash. Yeah, but most <laughs> of the time you can just sit back there, relax, and you could uh, read a book. You get uh, Carl Sagan's Cosmos. Have you read that? Um, I flipped through it and admired the cover. Okay. Um, I will definitely have chance if we've got, I've got all the way to Saturn to, uh, yeah, to yeah. have a read. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, I, all the way to Saturn and then to the end of the known universe. Um, so, uh, and back, so you've got, oh, you've got wow. plenty of time. It's got a very dapper picture of Carl on the back yeah, as well. Yeah, I don't think there's anything but a dapper picture of Carl. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've got that to read. Oh, thank you very much. Um, uh, and you've brought a book with you, I, I have. It's a slightly controversial choice. Okay. I have the Bible with oh, me. Okay. Um, and yeah, I was brought up um, 
in a sort of fairly devout uh, Christian home. So okay. this is all sort of my family heritage is pretty much in the stories yeah. of this book. And I still get the sense that there's something else than just the material universe. Um, I think I probably still will co would call myself a Christian. Okay. Um, so I, I draw a lot of strength from the stories in, in this book mm -hmm. and, and particularly the teachings of Jesus. I think, wow, I want to live like that. Okay. Um, so yes, I think particularly seeing as you get an awful lot of pages for a small volume is <laughs> <laughs> also very good yeah, for, a sure. for a long journey. Sure. So yes, um, I've brought the Bible to go with Carl Sagan, which yeah. would be an interesting combination. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's, it's just two ways of looking at the same thing. So. <laughs> well, I think I may have a lot to think about as well. I may, oh, may yeah, alternate. Sure. I read one chapter of Carl <laughs> <laughs> and read a little bit of Genesis and scratch yeah. my head for about the 400 light years or something. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, great. We should probably do some more music. I have bought some cello because one of the things that wasn't on your list of things that I do, I actually play the cello as well. Oh, um, okay. I uh, got to my grade 8 just before I went to university and oh. playing university orchestras, toured around Europe, all that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and I did ponder um, becoming a professional musician at one point, mm -hmm. um, but then thought physics is more likely to pay the bills, and I can do uh, <laughs> I can do cello on the side. So let's go yeah. for that combination. Um, and do you do it still? On I time? still do play. Um, Great. I haven't done so much in the last couple of years, particularly with being busy with boys and science yeah. girls and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm def I'm getting back to it. I have a cello teacher who says she misses me, um, so I should really <laughs> go and see her more often. Um, but one of the pieces I adore is um, the Elgar's Cello Concerto, mm. particularly this version played by um, Jacqueline Dupre. And I think the uh, the slow movement of that would definitely be um, up there with my favourites. You sort of put it on and it's like soaking into a hot bath. It's, oh, oh, it does me the power of good. It would be a lot more convenient for me to be an atheist. I'd have a lot fewer enemies and I'd get a lot less flack on Twitter when I occasionally mention God. Um, but it does happen, yeah, because being a, a Christian a physicist is something that doesn't happen, obviously. Mm. I must be a really bad physicist. <laughs> um, but I just can't get away from the sense that this isn't all it is. And 
this is what makes most sense to me, maybe because of my family background, maybe yeah. because it just still res really strongly resonates with me. Yeah. Um, I can't shake it off. Okay. Um, you know. No, I know I don't have to, I can do both. Yeah. But it would be really convenient for me if I could. I think it probably feels to most people like it's, it would be highly inconvenient. Do you think that's physics? The physics. No, no, it's just because it's really, really not a popular thing to be a Christian and, a, and an act and, and scientific. It, yeah, you watch every sort of science documentary, and it's written from an atheistic standpoint. Um, so I think the assumption is that. A lot of people assume that you can't really do both, mm. um, and it's a it's a, so because obviously there's no God, it must be a science that's out <laughs> because you can't be any you can't do both. Yeah. Um, it must be that you're not a proper physicist, and therefore that's why you don't fit in that box. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I personally I don't have a problem with it. It's just other um, because there is this, you know, if you're a rational. Th sensible intelligent person and you do science then obviously you can't believe in god um mm. and people who are very strong on that can be immensely assertive to the point of abusive and it's normally you know when if pe people get to know me and eventually the whole business of god comes up and they're totally fine with it if people um hear that about me they will have come into a conversation with me with a whole right. set of preconceptions so most of the time I don't tell anybody yeah, yeah I just yeah. let them go uh, learn to like me first <laughs> <laughs> the other cello um, favourite is the Bark Suites and this is um, a version recorded by Stephen Isselis and that's um, I think there was actually Bark went up on the the golden the did, golden Carlsenger's golden disc. Yeah. Um, there's a lovely quote from Bill Bailey when he was talking about this during a, a set where he said, "Bark, that's just showing off, isn't it?" <laughs> um, but it's it's not only aesthetically pleasing and very pleasurable to listen to. You know, you, you do get a gut response to it in the same way that you do to the mm. Elgar, mm. but intellectually actually you can feel your brain working processing mm. all these complex patterns and mm. so if we are going to be going for some time and i'm going to be pondering the meaning of life with the aid of um, the bible and carl sagan's cosmos yes. i think a little <laughs> bit of bark to help the wheels turn would yeah. actually be very beneficial
when I was at University in Nottingham, the front desk were music students. The rest of the cello section are six of us, mathematicians, medics, scientists. Quite a lot of people have this artistic flip side to work in science because you need to be creatively minded in order to work out how to solve a problem and that creativity works its way itself out in other ways so there are people who uh, you know ellie who's on the committee with me in science girl she's uh, she does uh, contemporary dance and she danced at the closing ceremony of the olympic games So Science Girl? Yes! What is Science Girl? I, I'm not saying it right, am I? Girl! Yeah. Girl! If, if, if you feel the need to do a kind of claw action right. with your dominant hand, yes. kind of like a panther, okay. you're getting it right. Girl! Okay. okay. <laughs> I won't. It's <But laughs> <laughs> alright, it's a podcast, no one's watching. Okay, I'll pretend do I do. Do what you like. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a network celebrating and supporting women in science, oh. um, and it all came together on Twitter really about 18 months ago when the um, European Commission in its infinite wisdom um, decided to launch an actually very good campaign called Science It's a Girl thing to try and get more girls into science, show them the range of scientific careers, blah 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 blah, blah with the most awful um, trailer, video trailer that you've ever seen. Yeah. It basically looked like a cosmetics advert and there was no science happening at all. No. Um, there was a ridiculously handsome man with a microscope, though, which was oh, his nice. only redeeming feature. <laughs> um, so Twitter went a bit nuclear, and yeah. I went, what the heck is this? Yeah. Um, and we thought, well, actually, the real thing, women who work in science and in science-related careers, the real thing is actually not only more attractive because it's more genuine, yeah. um, but also it's... Um, it's more inspiring because you see the diverse mix of people who are working in science that they're real people with families and jobs and interests outside of work and surely that as a package is something that you want to present to people and go look come and be people like us mm. um so we made a calendar um for 2013 Mm -hmm. showcasing a wide range of uh, scientific careers mm -hmm. and in the process of that we formed a network of people who were uh, basically go no nope, the world needs to see who we are yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're here yes. um, yeah. and uh, and now we have 15 chapters all around the UK and oh, yeah. uh, we've our 15th was actually in Dublin so we're extended oh. slightly outside of the UK okay. um, which are local gatherings of uh, people who are wanting to sort of celebrate and promote women in science mm. and scientific careers uh, to the next generation. So um, quite a lot of our chapters, are, well, a few of them are headed up by guys, actually, who are just interested in supporting their female colleagues and yeah. in, in making the best of their talents. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a women's-only network. We've mm. got quite a lot of blokes mm. involved as well. Mm. And do you think that if that video hadn't come about, then then that mobilisation would have happened at some point? Or? I honestly don't know, right. because there are quite a lot of organisations already um, 
promoting women in science. So the women's, women in science and engineering is a classic one. Um, I'm um, soon to be chair of the women in physics group at the Institute of Physics. Currently Excellent. secretary, soon to be chair. Um, uh, um, so there are obviously these groups already mm. who are, have identified this as an issue and something needs to be done. But that groundswell of support and, oh, for goodness sake, let's just do something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it needed that prod, maybe, that mm -hmm. impetus. But once something has got moving, if you manage to sustain it over a long enough period of time, and we are coming up to sort of 18 months now, right. that it's not just a flash in a pan, a kind of protest vote, a bit of ranting on social media. It actually has solidified into something really positive that mm -hmm. has more than enough life to keep it going for a fair few years yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good thing i think oh, it's a very good thing actually i think uh, yeah i think it's great that it that it's out there um and happening and it, it, it's it's not just a calendar it's no uh, no no and um we have had some comments in the, just the last couple of weeks on Twitch about whether we're making a 2014 calendar and it's a, and it, people are a bit sad that we haven't mm. but um, I don't see us as a calendar production team mm. um, and we made that calendar to make a point point. Yeah. and if we made another one it would have to be to make another point. Mm -hmm. Okay it's uh, it's getting late uh, it's uh, it's not actually getting cold, is it? It's, it's no, it's quite cosy in here. Yeah. It's all the hot air, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so, but we do we do need to get you out there to the edge of the known universe. Um, you've got books. You've got CDs. You've got my map of the universe. You've got a map of the universe. You've got the spaceship of our imagination. You've got the complete works of Sir David Attenborough. <gasps> wow. Which is you're going to need that to remind you of Earth. I am. But you can take one film. Obviously, this screen behind me here is you can watch films on there. And, uh, ah. Yes, I have brought with me Point Break. Uh -huh. Because it ticks so many boxes, really. It's got action, romance, it's got some absolutely stunningly beautiful cinematography. I mean, mm -hmm. the opening sequence where the surfing is just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It has. Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves, what's not to like? Um, and it also has plenty of sort of sit back and have a ponder kind of moments about, you know, how you choose the right thing to do and how you pick your path in life and what really matters to you. So it works on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm coming to it, if I just want something that's basically blowing things up and a bit of fun, yeah. um, it does that. If yeah. I want a kind of <sighs> romantic yeah. film it yeah. does that yeah. if I want to sort your life out woman <laughs> kind of watching yeah. then it does that as well Good. so it's a multi-purpose watch all over again fits whatever mood I'm in perfect. kind of film so that it is my favourite point break perfect. But, oh hang on oh, Lionel's just been reading Twitter and uh, he says that you have been speaking to somebody about imaging antimatter. Yes. Uh, he'd like to know what that's all about. Right. Um, oh, this would be the, the conversation about a little article I'm going to try and get in the Metro, fingers <laughs> crossed. Um, when I set up my Twitter account and picked All Right Pet, Pet stands for Positron Emission Tomography. Mm -hmm. And the positron is the antiparticle of the electron. 
and so instead of using um, these molecules labelled with gamma emitters you put something that emits positrons on it. Um, now you can't actually image positrons directly um, so what we do is we give them this injection and emits positrons. Those positrons run into electrons within the patient's body and because matter and antimatter do really cancel each other out in a burst of gamma rays. It's all really sounds Star Trek but it does actually happen. Um, you get two back-to-back -back gamma rays produced when a positron meets the electron. So if you surround the patient with this big circle of detectors and you look for these pairs of gamma rays that are arriving at opposite sides of the detector within a very small interval of time. So we're normally looking within a couple of nanoseconds these things arriving. Um, you can say that the positron and the electron met each other at the line defined by those two back-to-back -back mm -hmm. gamma photons. Mm -hmm. um, and that's essentially how positron emission tomography works. That mm -hmm. you do image the antimatter directly and um, what you do is you image the pairs of gamma rays that are produced when they run into electrons within the patient's body mm. and you collect millions and millions of them um, through a whole scan to track back to where the positron must have come from um, within the patient. It is interesting isn't it Lionel? Um, <laughs> so you, we need to get you out there. Um, oh hang on, you brought a pudding with you. Oh yes, I have. Well, you know, if you're going to settle down in front of a front of a film, you yeah. should really have, at very least, popcorn. Ideally, a sticky pudding mm. and mm. a glass of wine. But wow. well, we're, seeing as I might be driving near Saturn, we better forego the glass of wine and yeah, just yes. stick to the pudding. Yes, yeah. Um, yes, I have a rather delicious strawberry cheesecake. We need to do luxury item, yeah. Um, because particularly at this time of year, um, I was quite a spotty teenager, um, and spotty, spotty, bad glasses. It was not a good time of my life. Um, but it's almost that my my body has swung to the other extreme. Um, now I've become a grown up and. I just need moisturiser by the bucket load or I turn into a great big scaly monster. Um, so I will not be travelling anywhere, Lionel, unless you want me shedding everywhere. Um, dandruff all over your upholstery without a decent supply of body butter. So I have the most wonderful, this is my current, mm, oh it's so good. Um, this is my current pot. I get through about one pot every two weeks, particularly this time of year when I get horribly dried out by cold weather and central heating. Mm. Um, so yes, vats and vats of very, very nice moisturiser. Otherwise, I will just be hideous. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I'll tell you what, you've got one last CD. It's about time for you to take off, actually. Yeah, we should get cracking. We should do. Particularly um, seeing I'm teaching master's students in about an hour. Well, <laughs> an hour of earth time, you'll be back. Oh, excellent. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah, so uh, it's going to take you a, a long, long They might think you look a bit older when you get there. <laughs> um, but not if you use enough of the moisturiser. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to leave you to it, but uh, we've got one last CD. We have one last CD, and I think whenever you go on a journey it's um it's a transit from where you are to where where you're going 
seems like stating the obvious um, but in the process of making that journey you need to remember where you've left and so I thought I'd bring an album that kind of sums up where I am at the moment okay. um, so this is actually Fall to Grace by Paloma Faith okay. and I've, it's one of those albums where you think this is just so where I am right now and you listen to every track and go yep okay. yep yep so I would have oh my word it's a very 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 difficult choice I would have track 8 when you're gone okay. from this well, let's pop it on um, why did you choose that one in particular um, I think at, at the moment you know I've, I'm kind of in a transition place personally I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm sorting out a load of stuff at home a load of stuff professionally and this really sums up that kind of right there are some decisions to be made there are journeys to go on and uh yeah. <laughs> well, there's certainly a journey to go on now, and plenty of time to make some decisions. Excellent. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I'm going to leave you to it now, um, and uh, when you get back, uh, Lionel will probably tweet about it. So I'll know when you're back. And I'll, 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 uh, I'll, uh, I'll see you again, I hope. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you really very much. Really nice to meet Ha <laughs> ha